Take your Bible today, if you would, to the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 5, the last chapter of that book, 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 5. I hope I the message and the service is not as such as I read concerning a man by the name of Jim Dunn who was pastor in the First Baptist Church of a small town and his wife was named Gladys. And so after Jim had preached a long, tiring sermon, all the people finally woke up. Gladys went back and tried to relieve one of the guests and said, Oh, I'd like to introduce myself. I am Gladys Dunn. And the visitor said, So am I. <laughs> so I'll try not to be as uh, long and lengthy. First Thessalonians chapter number 5. And I would like to just explain the context a little bit. First Thessalonians, the major theme is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I believe he's coming again. I really do. He came the first time, just like he said. I believe he'll come the next time, just like he said. And so in your Bible, verse number one of Chapter number five, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, I have no need that I write unto you. If you are not aware of what's going on in the Middle East and the Bible prophecy concerning the latter days, you need to get your Bible and start reading the six o'clock news because we are not ignorant of the times and seasons in which we live. Verse 2, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. And uh, the previous chapter, verses 13 through 18, talks about the coming of our Lord in the rapture for all the saints of God prior to the tribulation period. And the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. You say, well, when will that happen? Verse 3, for when they shall say, peace and safety, then suddenly destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child. And they shall not escape. So we need to be conscious that this thing may be coming to a great apex real soon. Uh, you say, well, I don't believe he's coming back. Well, now, just because you don't believe it, probably not going to change God's program at all. You see, I just kind of reminds me of the atheist who would define the power of God, stood up one day and looked up toward heaven and shook his fist in the face of God and said, if there's a God in heaven, I dare him to cause thunder and lightning and strike me dead. One Christian standing by and said, why should God shake up heaven just to kill one idiot when he could have a gnat flap your nose and you could suffocate? 
He's coming back. Yeah, he's going to come back. Now notice, if you please, he writes all of that to encourage Christians. Verse number 7, for they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. And for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us under wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. God does not want anybody to miss the rapture. God does not want anybody to die and go to hell. It is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's will today for you and I is that we might obtain salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. And after we've done that, the Bible said, For who died for us, for that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. For we beseech you, brethren, to know them that labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love for the work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now I want to talk to you today very quickly about the practices of a powerful church. Our theme this year is I will build my church. And I've been preaching on Sunday morning on the church, the foundation of the church and so forth and so on. Have you ever heard uh, such and such is a great church? I ask you today, what constitute, what constitutes a great church? If you are saying to anyone, our church is a great church, what are you saying? What is your idea of a great and powerful church? I'm looking for a church preacher that is Great and powerful. What are you looking for? I'm looking for a church for my family to join. Well, what are you looking for? You can find a social club anywhere. You can find a place where they do social activities anywhere in the world. Most folks like to play baseball, softball, basketball, all except the Mavericks. And L.A., See that dart go to that prune picker's heart right then? But what is and what constitutes a great and powerful church? If you're looking for a church, you need to know what you're looking for. And I, I won't, is a powerful church uh, considered, it, it, does it constitute a numerical size, a, a big church, a large church, whatever, you know, what, what, what is it? Is it? It is a great church financially sound, and I think they ought to be financially sound. I think a, a, a spiritual church is a growing church. I, I don't know anything that's spiritual that is not growing. Somebody has told me one time, I'm a member of a small spiritual church. What? You may be a member of a small dead church, but you're probably not a member of a small spiritual church. Anything spiritual is reproducing itself. And so, uh, you know, and maybe you might say that my church is orthodox. 
You might say that, but you might not know what that word means, but that'd be all right too. What constitutes a great and powerful church? Let me give you this. Powerful Christians produce powerful churches. Think of that. A powerful Christian produces powerful churches. If your church is not powerful, it might be because you're running short on power. A powerful church is a church that is full of powerful Christians. Vince Habner has made this statement. Today, much of the church has gone for theatrics. There's more power in their lighting system than there are on the platform. Theatrics. Running a showboat instead of a lifeboat. And staging a performance instead of a living experience. Having a form of godliness but denying the power of God thereof. And so notice if you would please. Let me give you just two or three points of a powerful church. Verse 23. Look at this. The Bible said, and the very God of peace sanctify you holy. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be blameless, be preferred blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Now I'd have a problem with that. If I kissed you, it would not be holy, that's for sure. And if I was holy, I would not be kissing you either. I charge you, (laughs) I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. And grace of our Lord Jesus be upon, be with you. Amen. Just a few points about the practices of a powerful Church, powerful Christians bloom where God plants them. Listen, powerful Christians bloom where God plants them. If our church is not a powerful blooming church, it's because it is filled with Christians who are not blooming and who are not powerful. Would you say amen to that? I was reading today, this is my church. It's composed of people just like me. I will be friendly. It will be friendly if I am. It will do great works if I work. It will make generous gifts to many causes if I am generous. It will bring others into the fellowship if I bring them. Are you listening? Its seats will be filled if I fill them. It will be a church of loyalty and love and of faith and service if I who make it what it is am filled with these. If I who make it what it is, then I am what makes it what it is. Therefore, with God's help, I dedicate myself to work, 
to the task of being all these things I want my church to be. What do you want your church to be? Because what you want your church to be will determine what your church will be. Because it's filled with members just like you. But I want you to note something when Paul is writing to this church at Thessalonica. He gives us three or four practices or characteristics of what a church ought to be. Number one, members of a powerful church live godly lives. Not just at church. It ain't time to pray. But at home, at play, and at work, members of a powerful, growing church live godly lives. Look at verse 23. The Bible says, probably the greatest detriment to the church are people who live ungodly lives and has a poor testimony. Whether it be a preacher or the people or whoever it might be. Notice verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you. What's the next word? Holy. Completely. Every bit of us sanctify you, set you apart, consecrate you, separate you from the world absolutely, totally, and wholly. The Bible says, And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that members of a powerful Godly church lives godly lives. We hear so much about ungodly pastors anymore. On the television and around the world, pastors who are ungodly in their attitude and interactions are giving the church a sorry testimony. Unscrupulous officers who steal and, uh, and malign the, the testimony of the church. Unconcerned members who do not care. Notice the possibilities of godliness. In verse number 23, it says that I, not, I'm not talking to you now. It says that I can be totally godly. My spirit, my soul, my body can be set apart, sanctified, holy, godly life. I do not have to give down to the beggarly life of sin and worldliness. I can live godly. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? I can at work, at play, at job, wherever it might be, except maybe at home. How many of you guys married a wife? Can your wife irritate you beyond all control? Thank you, Billy. I'll tell you one thing. You want to come over to my house for lunch, Billy? You're not eating at the house today. Say, ladies, does your husband know which button to push to push you out of godliness into rank sinfulness? 
<laughs> yes. Go ahead, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. John. Uh, shake your head, ma'am. That's, that is a lady amen in church. Miss John says that John can push her beyond all godliness. And I tell you something, the devil knows when to push, how to push, what string to pull to test you and I. But the Bible said it's within the capacity of a born again child of God that the God of this universe so indwells us, so empowers us to enable us to be sanctified, holy, spirit, body, and soul. Thank God that you and I do not have to go back to where we used to be. We can live godly lives. And it's for God's glory and for our benefit we live those godly lives. Now, I don't know about you, but sin seems to take a heavy burden on those who participate in it on a regular basis. Sin will kill you. Sin will eventually kill us all. Sin will addict us. Sin will lie to us. God will never lie to us. And God wants our benefit. Godliness is to our benefit, not only to God's. If you don't believe that sin will hurt and harm, I haven't done this lately, but just go down to the bars when they close at night and look at all the happy drunks walking out. But when they really get happy is the next morning. Isn't it so much fun giving yourself cirrhosis of the liver filtering alcohol that God did not intend for your liver to filter and then we walk about bragging about our beer belly which is not a beer belly at all it's the swelling of your liver you're dying it's killing you See, the devil lies to you and says it's a lot of fun. But God don't lie to you. God said, what makes a powerful church are members who will live godly. Can anybody say amen? Notice the powerfulness of godliness. Verse 24, faithful. Is he that called you who also will do it. The power to take you from where I used to be to where God wants me to be. Huh? The power. I was trying to look out over the congregation at some bad, bad, terrible, terrible sinners. Doc Moe. Oh, I just saying hi. But God has the power to take us from the graveyard where legion is running around naked as a jaybird, demon-possessed, 
alienated from his family because of his temper and because of his abuse and because of his ungodliness. And now he's living in the graveyard all by himself, running night and day, naked if you please, hanging with chains and fetters. And Jesus Christ meets him and saves him and takes him from the graveyard back to the house to be a good daddy for the glory of God. That's the power of godliness. Faithful is he who has called you and he will do it. All you've got to do is just let him. But the characteristics and the practices of a, of a godly church, the members live godly lives. Kazoomtide. That hurt me. Secondly, the practices of a godly church and a powerful church is the members, be careful now, the members pray for their spiritual leaders. Look at verse 25. In close in that book, Paul says, Brethren, pray for us. Godly people. Are praying people. And godly people pray for their pastor. Not talk about him and not ridicule him and not run him down. I don't want you to pray that I'd have a better coon dog. I'd ruin it if I had it. Don't pray that I have a better house. I'm very happy with the house of God. It's the one that we started our church in the front yard 26 years ago. I don't need a better house. I don't need more house to mess up. You got to clean it up. What my wife and I need is a smaller house so that we only live in one room. And we can keep that one room clean. We can eat on our TV tables. Amen. In front of the TV. What are you doing in the TV? Reading our Bibles in front of the TV. (laughs) Don't pray for me that I have a better car. You say, preacher, you'd look better in a cattle rack. I can't even spell it. I don't need no cattle rack. I need a pickup truck. I'm too old to crawl out of a car. I need something I can fall out of. (laughs) When I go on the road and I rent a car, they say, what do you want? I want a cheap one. That's a mistake. Takes me a week to get out of it. Paul is not asking this church to pray for material things. Paul is not asking this church to pray that, uh, you know, that he'd have more kids. God knows I don't need any more kids. My quiver is full. He's praying. He's asking that church to pray for specific things. Would you please take your Bible? Let me show you a little bit what Paul was asking this church to pray for him about. Take your Bible, Romans chapter uh, number 15, if you would please. Romans, in, in the book of Romans, I want you to look at this. Romans chapter 15. Let me show you why you ought to be praying for your pastor. Praying for spiritual leaders. Praying for Folks who will make an impression in this world for God spiritually. Paul is not praying for monetary things or material things. Verse 30 of Romans chapter number 15. Listen to what Paul says. Please listen now. Now I beseech you brethren. 
For the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, not for his sake, but for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. See what he's saying? Pray for Jesus Christ's sake. Pray for the love of the Spirit's sake. Pray and strive together in prayers to God for me. For what? That I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. And that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. Paul is praying that his ministry would be fruitful and that those folks would receive his ministry. On Sunday morning, uh, when I get up and preach, please don't think that it's an entertainment. Please don't think that I'm trying to uh, polish my, uh, uh, my, my life or my ministry. It's that the gospel may be received of those who have not accepted it. Don't pray that I may be renowned. Pray that Jesus Christ might be glorified. Don't pray that I might be blessed. Pray that folks who visit our church might be blessed by receiving the gospel. It's not about me. It's about him. Notice, if you would, please, again, in Colossians chapter number 4. In your Bible, just over a few few pages, Colossians chapter 4. Paul says, pray for us. Do you know, members... In a powerful church, praise for the spiritual leaders. Notice Colossians chapter number 4. Can I read for you verse 2? Watch this now, watch. Continue in prayer, Paul says to the church at Colossae. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all praying also for us. That God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. That I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Paul's not asking for steak and eggs. He's asking for a door to open. As he's chained to these guards day and night in prison that God might open the door of their understanding that he may win these these officers, these guards, these soldiers to the Lord as they're tied to him 24 hours a day. Paul said, when the next shift comes, I want to be able to witness to them and that they'd understand that a door would be open to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Preacher, what do you want to pray for you for? I want you to pray that God would use the message to save people as we preach the word of God. Notice Second Thessalonians chapter number 3, just a, maybe a page or two. Second Thessalonians chapter number 3 and verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us. You like that? Remember I asked you a few years ago, on Sunday, get up 10 minutes earlier and take 10 minutes and pray for your preacher. 
pray that God would so anoint his life and give him the message that needs to be spoken that could deal with that daddy who's trying to raise a kid all by himself. That God would speak to that mother who's trying to raise the kids by herself. Pray that the preacher would get the news and get the message straight from God that would deal with those two who are trying to raise children from different families. And pray for that one nearest hell, dear God, that the message may say, Jesus wants to save you today. Pray for us, Paul said. Notice, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you and that ye may be delivered and that we may be delivered from the unreasonable and wicked men for all men have not faith. Do you think I've been able to stay here 26 years without somebody praying for me? The average stay in an average Baptist church is two years. That's how long the preacher stays. I visited a family a couple of weeks ago that said, I did not join your church because I knew you were old. And there's going to be a transition soon. And I don't want to go through the transition of pastor to pastor. Do you think I'm going to be able to stay here another 25 years if you don't pray for me? I read this morning a prayer that was prayed by a Christian in Red Rock, Mississippi. Praying for the pastor This red, I mean, this Mississippi folk (laughs) prayed, Oh Lord, give thy servant this morning the eyes of an eagle and the wisdom of an owl. Connect his soul with the gospel telephone in the central skies. Illuminate his brow with the Son of Heaven. Possess his mind with love for people. Turpentine his imagination. Grease his lips with possum oil. Loosen his tongue with a sledgehammer of thy power. Electrify his brain with the lightning of the word. Put petrol motion in his arms. Fill him plumb full of dynamite. Glorify, anoint him all over with the kerosene of thy salvation, then set him on fire. That's how you pray for your preacher. The practice of a powerful growing church is the members live godly lives and the members praise for its leadership. Thirdly, the members are friendly toward one another. And you'd really have to be friendly to do this, 26, verse 26. Now, this is a custom in early times, in the early church. And this is one custom, I'm glad, that has now gone the way of all customs. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. You ready, Jim? John, I want you and Jim to demonstrate to our church 
a holy kiss. <laughs> now our visitor's going to think that you're not friendly, John. <laughs> Greet one another. Don't come and sit down in your pew and wonder why everybody's mad at you because they ain't coming over there to slobber all over you. The practices of a powerful growing church is it is a friendly church. It is friendly to each other. It says greet. Don't wait. Don't sit back. Don't be reserved. Don't wonder if everybody thinks your nose is on straight. Don't come to the conclusion that because everybody's not falling all over you, that nobody likes you. A powerful, growing church is filled with friendly members. You got that? Well, they'll know how stupid I am if I open my mouth. Don't open your mouth. That ain't the kind of kiss they want. Be friendly. Look friendly. Act friendly. Don't sit there and look like you had ground glass for breakfast. Don't think that you have eaten gunpowder And the first Christian you shake hands with, you're going to blow up in their face. Don't look that way. A growing, powerful church is filled with friendly members. If you've got a million dollars, nobody in the world should know it but you and God. And you shouldn't act like it. And if you're broke, nobody in the world ought to know it except you and God. Because we're all rich in Jesus Christ. Is that not so? And you say, well, preacher, I don't have the kind of clothes you got. No, I got these at Jacques Peignet's 25 years ago. And if you want to comb your hair, I'll just bend over because we've ironed it so many times. You, it's so slick back there. You can comb your hair in the seat of my britches. It's not how you're dressed. It's not how much money you got. It's not what kind of education you got. It's not what school you attended. It's about being saved by the grace of God. All of us going to heaven. All of us saved by the same grace. And we ought to be friendly to be a powerful kind of church. Greet everyone. Well, it's just some folks I don't like. You probably ain't by yourself. They probably don't like you either. But don't act like it. Amen. Do you think they're mad at me? Well, I don't know. Well, they haven't shook my hand three or four days. Really? Have you shook those? No, no. I'm just waiting for them to shake mine. They're sitting in my seat. I'm offended they sit in my seat. Do you notice that person parked in a handicapped parking and they ain't got a sticker. Well, see, they don't give stickers for being handicapped mentally. <laughs> Did you ever think of that? Uh, how would you make a sticker of a handicapped mental person? 
you wouldn't use a wheelchair. <laughs> I guess you just put a big question on the forehead and say, yeah, the... professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Our church ought to be the friendliest place in the world. The very friendliest place in the world. Why? Because we want it to be a powerful, growing church that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'm not sinning. I'm living a godly life. How friendly are you? Fourthly, You say, are you going to be done by the time the ball game is over? I thought it was over last night about 12. It was over about 9. They just went through the motions. (laughs) Members study their Bibles. The practices of a powerful church. Notice Verse number 27. Paul said, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The Bible tells us how to live. Don't change the Bible to suit your living. Change your living to suit the Bible. You got that? We do not need to revise it. We need to start living it. Uh, We do not need to change it. We need it to change us. We do not need to read through it. We need to let it read through us. This book will change your life. This book will change this country. This book will change the world if we just start believing it. Don't uh, read books about the Bible. Read the Bible to guide your books. You got that? Somebody was telling me about a series of books called Left Behind. I wonder if you spend as much time reading the book about the second coming of Christ and about the rapture and about the tribulation and about the millennium and about the signs of the time. I wonder if you read the Bible as much as you read the other books if maybe you might be a better person. I don't know, but it's a powerful church gives priority to the Bible. The Bible is our textbook. The Bible is our rule book. The Bible is our guidebook. The Bible is our recipe book. (laughs) The Bible is our TV guide. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. And I say to you, this book says, if you are careful, you can live a godly life. This book will be our marriage guide. You say, well, I want Dr. Spock to tell me how to do it. Good luck. But this book, a powerful church, is filled with members who study their Bible. Amen. My wife and I was going down the road the other day. She looked at me as only she can look at me. She says, honey, 
What percentage of our church do you think is having a regular daily devotion? You don't know, you don't want to know what I said. I said, I don't know. A regular daily devotion. I think Muslims pray three times a day. Work, play, whatever. Three times a day. I wonder if most Christians pray three times a week. See, our church is what the members make it. But I'll just bet you we have a great percentage of our folks who endeavor to walk with the Lord daily, who pray daily, who read their Bibles daily, who yield themselves to God daily, who wants God to use them daily. That's the kind of members that makes a powerful church. I'm done. Fourthly, the members of a powerful, growing church know how to appropriate the grace of God in their lives. You know what I mean? When you come to the end of yourself, where do you go? When the pain is so hard, you don't know where else to turn. When you're out of Valium and uh, hydrocodone and all the other stuff, where do you go? Where does a sinner who knows not the Lord go when his marriage is falling apart and the relationships are no longer what they need to be? Well, they go to the bar. They find a bartender to talk to. And somebody else who's failed at their marriage is going to give them counsel now from the next bar stool. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. How do you know that? Because I've done it ten times now. Where do you go when you run out of yourself? I do know this. That the Bible says you're saved by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. I read the best illustration this past week about grace. Dr. Charles Stanley, pastor of First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Said when he was in seminary. He and all the future preachers that was in that class went into a class. And the teacher passed out a test and says, we're having this test today, but here's the instructions. Read the entire test before you start taking the test. 
He said, I sat down and I read and I read. And boy, this was the most... Uh, we had not even covered any of the material that was on the test. I did not know one thing in the test. I read the first page said, man, I'm done. It's over. I'm out of here. Next page got worse. Next page was even worse. And the fourth page, man, it take an Einstein to pass this test. Turned it over and on the back it says, if you want an A, sign your name on this test and pass it in. He said, wow. He signed his name and turned it in. But he said, you know, a lot of folks didn't read the instructions and began to do the test. Said one guy even passed the test and made a C minus. And said, even some of the folks in the class said, I don't want him to give me anything. And didn't even take the test. Do you know anybody who's trying to get to heaven without reading the instructions? I'll get there my way. You get there yours. No, no. I'm not going my way because I don't have a way. I'm going his way. And some folks say, well, uh, I'm going to help him a little bit. I'm going to take the test. God will see just how serious I am about this. No. All you got to do, listen, is sign your name. Turn the test in. You get an A. That's the gift of God. For by grace are you saved. By faith. Not of works, lest any man should boast. If you're here today, the smartest thing you could ever do is to appropriate the grace of God in your life by believing what Jesus said. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's grace. The reason this church is so different is nobody here think they deserve heaven. They're going to heaven because Jesus Christ loved them so very much that he died in their place. But once you're saved, you need to know how to appropriate grace. In Paul's weakest hour, when his flesh began to fail, He prayed and asked God to take this pain and this agony and this thorn from him. And God said, no, I think I'll just give you grace instead. And he told him, my grace is sufficient. I wonder today, is God's grace sufficient for what you're going through? A story is told about a group of women who met for a Bible study. They were studying the book of Malachi. Malachi 3 and 3 says this. He will sit at the refiner and purify of silver. He will sit as a purifier and a refiner of silver. 
It's kind of hard to understand. The ladies just did not fully comprehend Malachi 3 and 3 when it says that God would set as a refiner and purifier of silver. So they discussed it a little while and nobody had a real handle on what it meant. So the leader of the group gave the folks uh, an assignment to study the situation and see really what it meant. Next week they'll meet and they'll talk about it. The following week a woman called a silver refiner and a silversmith and asked if she could visit with him and watch him while he worked. And he said, sure, that's fine. She didn't mention why she was doing it. She just was going to go watch him melt down and refine silver. And as she watched the silversmith work, he held the piece of silver over the fire and let it heat up. And he explained to the lady, you've got to hold the silver directly in the middle over the hottest part of the flame to get it to melt and refine like it should. And if you did not, the flames where it's the hottest, uh, as you burn away, it burns away all the impurities at the hottest part of the flame. The woman thought about it and God holding us in such a hot spot every once in a while, she thought again about the verse that God is a refiner and a purifier. And sometimes he's got to hold us over the hottest part of the flame to get some of the dross and sin out of our life. Well, the woman thought about God holding us and she asked the silversmith if it was true that he had to sit there in front of the fire the entire time while he had the silver on the fire. And the man answered, yes. And that not only did he have to sit there holding uh, the silver, he had to keep his eye on it the entire time because if the silver was left for a moment too long, then the flames, it would be destroyed. The silver would be destroyed. The woman was silent for a moment and she says, well, how do you know when the silver is fully refined? He said, uh, well, when it's fully refined, I can see my image in it. When you and I are fully refined, Jesus can see his image in us. He is a refiner and purifier of silver. Members of a godly, powerful, growing church live godly lives, pray for the preacher, friendly toward one another, and know how to grab a hold of the grace of God when we need it. And all of God's people said, and if you're not one of God's folk, you can be saved today by grace through faith plus nothing.